Welcome to the Liberty Block. I am Elliot Axelman. We just published an article earlier on Thursday, July 2nd, explaining with a lot of good sources how the federal government, state governments, and the media have been inflating the virus numbers tremendously for a lot of reasons and in a lot of ways, inflating various statistics from the cases, the positive cases, to hospital admissions, to the you know critical cases and events, and then uh, deaths as well, of course. So throughout this article, we have, I mean, I can look through here, probably a good 20, 30, 40, 50 uh, links to sources, and the sources are CDC or video, like Fauci saying something on video. So they're, they're pretty good sources, so relax. So yeah, we have FDA and CDC. The, the article starts off by saying that it's, you know, it sounds crazy to question the U.S. government, especially, you know, considering their incredible reputation for accuracy, morality, principle, how trustworthy people like Trump and Fauci and Clinton, Obama and uh, James Comey, William Barr, how trustworthy they are, right? So why would anyone question politicians and federal agencies like the CDC, FDA and other unconstitutional and immoral corrupt agencies right so since you know january february when the uh, covid-19 began to spread throughout the us and political and media propaganda started to perpetuate throughout the all 50 states since then they've been inflating numbers hugely maybe by a factor of 100 or maybe even 1000 if you ask me let me explain why throughout the article. This video will accompany the article. The article will accompany the video. The article link will be in the description and show notes of the podcast and video, wherever you watch this on. So one of the first things and the, the big way that they inflate the numbers is by simply giving money to hospitals every time they diagnose someone with coronavirus, especially when they admit them. I don't know if they get money just for diagnosing someone, but when they admit someone with the admitting diagnosis being COVID-19, they get money. I think it was $7,000, but you can look at the links we have from Medicare. Now, again, it might sound at first conspiratorial saying the government giving money for a diagnosis, paying people off. No, it's not that sinister in a sense, but we're talking about reimbursements from CMS, the Center for Medicaid and Medicare Services, which is the federal government, the big federal insurance reimbursement programs so medicare for the elderly in general and medicaid for people who are old or young who are below a certain poverty line so you know a lot of people in the u.s have medicaid and medicare especially after obama destroyed the economy for eight years and especially now that the economy is terrible so when people have medicare or medicaid as their primary payer the federal government instead of an insurance pays for pays the hospital or their doctor for their treatment. So when in an effort to help hospitals with this pandemic, CMS is giving an extra $7,000, it seems, according to all these sources, to hospitals when the admitting diagnosis is COVID-19. Now, if you're a hospital administrator or even a doctor or CEO of a hospital, if you can admit someone who was positive on the test, and we'll get to the false negatives later, maybe, a lot of false negatives, but if the test came back positive for COVID-19, 
but their issue seems more like ACS, so you know, uh, acute coronary syndrome, maybe you know, chest pain or but slight difficulty breathing. You can make the argument and fudge it and say it could be a COVID nineteen pneumonia type lung issue with difficulty breathing. But you you know your doctor into it doctor intuition tells you it's ACS, but for seven thousand bucks, maybe you'll be a little bit more likely to lean towards the admitting diagnosis, the primary diagnosis being COVID nineteen. And you'll say they have, you know, also secondary ACS or chest pain or, or a cardiac issue going on, maybe. And then, of course, of course, you'll order an EKG interponent and, and all that just because you don't want to kill them, but you want the money, right? So that makes sense. If someone gave me 7000 bucks, you know, maybe I would say something different. It doesn't, you know, hurt the patient, but it's it increases the numbers, inflates the numbers a little bit, right? Now, this extra payment of $7,000 goes through the progression for the patient as they go through the hospital. So take Mr. Smith, for example, who may have had a cardiac issue, may have had a lung issue, may have had something else entirely. Could have been the flu, influenza virus, could have been coronavirus, could have been any coronavirus. There there have been others in the past that have caused a cold or, or you know flu-like symptoms or pneumonias or anything like that in a person. Could be anything, but they go through the hospital and let's say they go to the ICU. When they go to the ICU, the bills are very high. And from what I've read, according to some of the sources here, the CMS, so the federal government, then gives them, if they go to the ICU with an ICU admitting diagnosis of primary COVID-19, the hospital gets an extra $35,000 or $39,000, some thousand dollars The hospital gets extra because the government wants to help out. It's a pandemic, you know, so it's extra money. Of course, the government has no money, so all money the government has is from... Yes, correct. The taxpayers. So we write about this very often on the Liberty Block. If the government has money, it's either from taxpayers, it's from borrowing or printing. So it's uh, it's never really a good thing if they're spending money. So, so far on the stimulus, in the stimuli, multiple stimulus packages now, I think, they've spent, I think, over $6 trillion as of a few months ago. So maybe they'll end up spending $10, 15000000000000 trillion, trillions, on this this. Uh, coronavirus pandemic st- stimulus packages, right? So, and then uh, same thing happens if someone does die. And, and this is where it gets even crazier. We have a lot of sources over here from uh, doctors, pathologists, so uh, medical examiners, coroners, whatever you call them, saying, and, and a lot of other doctors, pretty much saying publicly that it seems like every everyone was dying from coronavirus. We have a lot of quotes here. We have one from a respiratory therapist they were called, quote, they were calling everything a COVID death, even if it was cancer or other natural causes, end quote. We have a bunch of other doctors. Of course, there was the big doctor. He was a state senator. I'll have to see where he was from. A state senator from Minnesota or something, who was also a doctor. And uh, he kind of, he was one of the first to blow the whistle. He was on Fox. And yeah, let me just find it here. He, yeah, he was on Fox, and uh, he said that the government was giving a lot of money, and, and it could be, you know, inflating the numbers and making it no longer reliable data. And it's big, big issue. Now, we have a lot of sources. You have to check out the article or check out the show notes. We have around 20 sources, and we're constantly updating the article on bottom. We're just writing further reading because we there are so many sources to back up. Not necessarily pandemic. I don't know if it was planned or who created it. Did Xi Jinping, I don't know, I don't trust him, but I don't know if he created it. I don't know if they can create this virus or maybe they altered it. I don't know. 
and the virus is real because I am a man of science. I've been in medicine for nine years now. But this response by the government is certainly exaggerated. So virus is real. It might be the same as the flu, better, worse. So far, the flu infects more. The flu probably kills more. Um, but, you know, coronavirus might be a little bit different because it's different family of viruses than typical influenza viruses. Coronaviruses rarely uh, mutate into a way that, into a form that can get humans sick. So it's a little bit more rare than influenza viruses, but there have been coronaviruses, you know, plenty in the past. Now, another thing about, you know, one of the links I just updated into the article is from the CDC, and apparently the CDC website says, you know, I'll go right to the website now, it says even if you do get a positive result of the antibody test, which is the primary test, because I don't think a lot are doing PCR tests now, which tests for the actual virus uh, RNA, I think. But if you get an antibody test, which is the common one, it only tests for whether your body has antibodies. Now, I'm not an immunologist. I barely remember immunology from medical school, but the basic of testing for an antibody means the antibody is the uh, security guard or the the types of cells that remember and then identify a pathogen you've encountered before. So once you encounter a certain pathogen, let's say coronavirus, depends how specific it is. I'm not sure how specific these various types of antibodies are, but let's say there's antibody that kills all, all coronaviruses. If you've ever had a coronavirus before, your body will have built up the antibodies to coronaviruses, and now you'll have antibodies. So even if you had SARS or MERS or other coronavirus or any other you know coronavirus that caused a cold a year ago, five years ago, 10 years ago, your body will have antibodies. So you'll come back at positive, they'll quarantine the hell out of you, and your life is you know locked up for two weeks, right? And you're treated like, like some kind of sick animal. So, but a lot of those cases could be either false positives, just BS, or it could be a positive, but all it means is that you have antibodies either to a different disease, a different coronavirus. There are, again, there are very many forms of the family of coronaviruses. Or it means that you had COVID-19 and you already recovered from it. Or your body just beat, beat it and you didn't really have symptoms and never got you sick. I had a tiny bit of a cold in December. Did I have coronavirus? Maybe. Do I have antibodies now? Maybe. If I have antibodies, that doesn't mean I'm a sick person and I'm contagious. It means at some point in the past, my body may have encountered any coronavirus. Maybe. That's all a positive test means. Now, while we're on the topic of the immune system, we do have to discuss a basic principle. I don't know what the name of this conundrum is. I'm sure there is a name. But it's along the premise of use it or lose it. Or when you use it, you strengthen it. Your immune system, like your muscles and your body and your, your brain and many other organs, you have to use it for it to remain strong or to get stronger. If you never use your immune system, it's going to get weaker and eventually become totally useless. If your body is never exposed to a pathogen, if you live in, in a bath of hand sanitizer, like many people seem to be doing now, if you do wear a mask and never breathe in anything other than 100% pure oxygen, CO2, and, and uh, nitrogen, if you never breathe in anything, any pathogen, ever, you never encounter anything on your skin, you will have a horrible immune system. And the first time you do encounter a pathogen in your life, it might kill you. It's that simple. I think the movie Bubble Boy probably came out, uh, you know, 20 years ago now, 10, 20, 30 years ago. Who knows? But I think they, they talk about this in the movie Bubble Boy quite a bit. I only saw bits and pieces on TV, but I think this was the premise of Bubble Boy. Um, but you can go watch it. Pretty much a boy is in a bubble his whole life, but and his mother is afraid that if he goes outside of the bubble, 
to play with other kids. As he grows up, he's going to die, and she's right. And because his immune system is weak. Why is it weak? Because the mother kept him in a bubble his whole life, right? So it's just an interesting conundrum you have there. But yeah, ultimately you have to be exposed to some pathogens. Now, now here, here's where, because right now we're at a kind of a, a stalemate because we don't know where to go from here. Should you be exposed, but the pathogen might kill you? Or should you not be exposed and develop a weak immune system? Now here's what I would say. We want to develop immunity to as many things as possible. Antibodies are tiny. We can hold a trillion of them in our body because they're, they're tiny cells. They're, they're, you know, various types of lymphocytes maybe, or, or any, any kind of leukocyte. They're tiny C cells. We could have, I'm sure, trillions. But here's the key. If we develop antibodies to a wide array of pathogens now, when we're 90, those same pathogens may not kill us. If we wait till we're 90 and we're exposed because we were in a bubble our whole lives and now we're 90 in a nursing home and Cuomo stuck us in a COVID home, I mean, a nursing home, you know, then... Uh, then we might get killed by a pathogen, especially one as, as you know, deadly as COVID-19. And we'll get to death rates later. The death rate is like 0.0001%, which is similar to the flu. Uh, it's pretty low. So, and all, just similar to the flu, every, almost everyone it kills is very sick or has comorbidities. So, you know, very old, very sick. Um, so very similar to the flu um, from where I stand. Yeah, so, so I would argue that people who are not allowing their immune systems to develop immunity, to have to exercise. It's like not exercising your muscles. Those who don't exercise their immune systems now are doing themselves a disservice. And furthermore, doing a disservice to the children, their parents, their grandparents, their families, their neighbors, and that guy down the block who takes chronic uh, corticosteroids for his uh, lupus. You know, name any disease that requires chronic steroids, you know, plenty of diseases, you know, a lot of asthmatics take uh, steroid use and a lot of other um, tremendous amounts of people take chronic steroids or are immunosuppressed for, for cancer reasons or other reasons. So those people who you could expose if you do catch it. Now, if you have a good immune system, you're less likely to catch, contract diseases, you're less likely to kill people. So I can make the total opposite argument saying, don't wear a mask. If you wear a mask, you're weakening your immune system, but weakening your immune system, it's like herd immunity backwards. It's the opposite because we're going to have herd weakness, herd uh, unimmunity. So it's counterproductive using too much sanitizer and you know, wearing masks and all that. Again, now, if you are already 90 now and you didn't have a chance to you know, develop your immune system 50 years ago, if you are 90 or 100 years old or 80 years old or have comorbidities, immunocompromised or anything like that, you should take precautions. Just like I would advise you to take precautions every year during the winter months when the flu season is strong. And, and again, in medicine, this isn't really foreign to us because we do wear masks quite a bit and we put masks in our patients during flu season because we understand that the old and the sick are very vulnerable and the young and healthy people are not that vulnerable. The, the most healthy people are NBA players and they're saying NBA players can only get back to playing basketball if they play in some kind of bubble and there's no one and they all test Every two minutes, they need a coronavirus test. It's ridiculous. Um, you know, MLB, we have fight, UFC fighters taking the test every day or so. The UFC fighters, they're so healthy. Even if they are positive and they get the other person positive, the other fighter, they're probably going to live. They're, they're in phenomenal shape. So it just doesn't make sense. Again, we should focus on the, the people who are vulnerable. People like me, you know, thankfully I'm not vulnerable. I'm young and healthy with a, again, a new system. Now, in the final part of the article, we address the question of why would the government do this? You know, 
We always talk about a motive. What is the motive? Why would they do this? The governments have a few reasons for causing widespread panic and fear with, with the pandemic and states of emergency. Now, for the state governments, states and cities, their big incentive is to, first and foremost, get money from the federal government because the federal government is giving money, you know, the stimulus of, of a few trillion, a few billion went to each state, depending on how bad it looks and the population. The population you can't really, really affect, but a governor can make his state seem worse than other states, for instance. We all know New York seemed to be hit pretty hard. Again, everything's inflated. They said they have who knows how many millions of cases and millions of deaths. I'm sure a lot of them are flu because it looks like no flu deaths are reported this season. So all the actual flu deaths are being reported as COVID this season. So the, you think the flu just happened to take a year off? Come on now. So regardless, New York was hit harder than most other states. You know, New York, New Jersey, that area with the dense population, of course, because it's all about density. So, but New Hampshire, on the other hand, is on the other side of the spectrum. We're pretty rural. You know, we're in pretty good shape. We don't have a ton of contact. Some can be to Boston, but we don't have a lot of contact with places quite as urban as New York City. We had, when, when the lockdowns in the states of emergency began, I think we had like 40 cases here, like like almost maybe single digit number of deaths. Very, very few, and they were all over like 65 nursing homes with, with plenty of other illnesses. And yet the governor started the state of emergency, which has lasted for months now, and it seems like it's never going to end. Now, why did he do that? Is he evil? No. I know him, and he's a, a good person. He's actually a pretty good governor too. He did it to be a statesman, kind of a statesman, to get money as much as possible for his state. My theory is that the more state of emergency it looks like, the more reported cases and deaths you have in your state, the more money the federal government will give from taxpayers, of course, to you. So the federal government gave, I think, a few billion to New Hampshire. And, you know, Sununu, the governor, wanted to go out and get as much as he can, which makes sense. That's what a governor in general would want to do. Um, the bad, The downside of that is that he did shut down the economy and, and essentially cripple an economy that was white hot and number one in the country and booming with unemployment like 3%. Now it's around 20%. So it went from the best unemployment in the country to, uh, you know, around 20%, which is really recession or depression territory, I think is what the economists say. So we're, we're at around 20% unemployment now, I think. And people, you know, don't have economic freedom and they can't um, really make ends meet, so they need that stimulus check. And, and they need the, the uh, unemployment, of course. So the federal government likes causing fear because a, a populace that's in fear is easy to control. We're all afraid of everything. And But their state governments also like the fear because politicians in general are tyrants. So they want to keep people scared, but it's also about getting money from the federal government. The media likes a good story. And the pandemic is a great story because people are concerned because the government and media are making them so paranoid about this pandemic and making it seem like everyone is dying. 100% of people will die. So they're tuning in to even CNN and even, you know, uh, Facebook, ABC, CBS, and every other Fox News. So media is is being consumed a lot now because people want to get constant updates. Not me. I'm sick of it. I turned on Dr. Radio, NYU Dr. Radio on Sirius XM, and every single show for the last around four months has been about COVID. And this, again, is unprecedented. And this is what I really want to want to get across in this video, and that's why it's so long. I've wanted to mention this for a while. I'm not that old. I'm 27. I've spoken to people, you know, doctors, nurses, other people who follow politics for 50 years, 70 years. No one has ever seen something that has consumed 100% of the news 24-7 for four months. What is this? July? No. Sorry. Four, five, six, seven months. 
around seven months now, 24-7 programming is about COVID. We've gone through big things. There was um, Rodney King riots in L.A. a few decades ago. There was, you know, presidential elections every four years in general. There's uh, so a congressional election every two years. There's a lot of other stuff going on. There were world wars. Never has 100% of the media, besides for a few BLM protests over the last few weeks because Chauvin had to go murder George Floyd in cold blood. Other than that tiny brief pause where they spoke about riots and then back to COVID and then COVID and riots together, never have I seen so much intensity. It, it just seems off to me. And from the beginning, something seemed off. Again, I'm not doubting that a virus exists. Plenty of viruses exist. And that's fine. And I'm going to keep taking care of my patients and wearing a mask and following my policy and hospital policy and protecting my old patients like I do every flu season. I don't want it to be responsible for killing any patient of mine. But Dr. Radio, for instance, is a, a channel. It's pretty leftist. It's run by NYU, uh, Langone University and Medical Center. Very, very far left. Um, socialists on the, sh on the show always pushing socialism. And they're saying, we need universal health care. But the show, pretty much the way it works, is, is every hour they have something else. They have different units in the hospital and they have an expert. Their top cardiologists have a cardiology hour. They also have an interventional cardiologist who talks about actual, you know, cath. So giving, uh, putting in stents and, and dealing with heart attacks. They have an electrophysiologist who talks about EKG stuff, come on that show. But they have a psychiatry show, they have a pediatric show, they have some one or two shows about your pets, a few shows about kids, a few shows about um, uh, uh, sex, health, and all that. They have shows about um, what other units there are, dermatology. They have, I'm sure, you know, kidney, GI, medical, ER show. I used to listen to the ER show for a while after work. So, they, you know, they have a lot of shows. And they always talk about different things, right? No. Over the last few months, every single time I go to the channel, and it says on the radio, it says, COVID update, COVID, ER and COVID, psych and COVID, your pets and COVID. I'm not kidding. Pediatrics and COVID, uh, psychiatry and COVID, how COVID, PTSD, anxiety, you know, uh, COVID and the heart. So on the, on the cardiology show, it's, it's unbelievable. 24-7, you'd think that COVID is killing 120 million people a day. Now, Biden does think that, but you'd think COVID is killing millions every single day, and it's just not the case. Again, I hate pulling the card, you know, argument from authority. I've been in healthcare. I'm not seeing it. I'm not seeing people drop like flies. I've spoken to a lot of people. I've been around the country in the last few weeks and, you know, saw people from, from essentially every state in the country. And people said from the hospitals back home, they're not seeing it. They're not seeing every single person in the world die like flies. Some people get sick and it's unfortunate. And maybe this is, you know, worse than flu season. Maybe it's, I don't know what it is, but it's, they're exaggerating. When you exaggerate, like the boy, he cried wolf. You exaggerate, you lose credibility. So the CDC no longer has credibility. Fauci, he lost credibility a while ago. But the FDA also lost credibility a while ago. But the federal government, Trump, if he had any credibility, is losing his credibility now because we can't trust him because all this fudging of the data. I have so many quotes. If I go back to my original document of the quotes I didn't even publish, a lot of, of tweets from people, you know, blowing the whistle, um, a lot of fud funky stuff going on. Dr. Fauci also, this was recently reported, let me click on this link, this was reported pretty recently by Newsweek. Dr. Fauci had been uh, giving millions to the Wuhan lab that's been studying the coronavirus. So Dr. Fauci is connected to the actual lab in Wuhan where this started, I believe. But he's got a lot of other issues, as, as you saw in that video that was taken down pretty quickly. So... I mean, a lot of issues there. The government is, is giving money, and I get it. They're saying they want to help hospitals. But when you give money for diagnosis, 
there was no way you don't manipulate the data. It's just that that's just how it's going to work. They they shouldn't have done that. They should not have inflated statistics. If you look at the video, we have an article about Texas, the Texas uh, Department of Health or whatever department runs all, all of Texas healthcare. Recently came out, I think a few days ago, and Daniel Miller posted this on his Facebook. It's a long video of the the DOH and the leaders in Texas talking, and they're essentially telling the other people in in this this board in Texas, from now on they're going to make the COVID diagnosis an even wider net. It was already a pretty low bar, pretty wide net. Um, and I, I'd seen you know other sources saying this a few a few weeks ago even. Pretty much in Texas, they're going to say if anyone has any symptom of COVID or has been exposed to anyone who had any symptom of COVID, we're going to call it COVID. Um, or if they might have been exposed to someone who might have had any symptom of COVID ever. Now, here's the problem. The co- and they aren't just you know specific symptoms. They're very, very generalized, uns- non-specific symptoms. Fever, pretty general, not specific, right? Weakness, the most unspecific symptom in the universe. If you're in healthcare, you know what I mean. Uh, you know, cough, pretty non-specific. So who has never had a cough or weakness or a fever in their life? Raise your hand if you've never had any of those things in your life, right? So that, that's a catch-all to include everyone. If you've ever had any of those, or if you were exposed potentially to anyone who ever had any of those ever, they're going to call you COVID positive. Even if you never had a test, even if they never tested you and you die, a lot of hospitals are saying, you know what, before they died, they were septic. Septic means an infection that goes systemic throughout your whole body. It comes with a fever like 80% of the time. If they have a fever and it comes with weakness, like in my experience, 99% of the time, sepsis comes with weakness. And since nearly every person in the U.S. dies ultimately of sepsis, as if not the primary cause of death, the ultimate cause of death, as the last diagnosis before you die, um, then they'll call it a COVID death. And again, I've seen so many cases anecdotally, granted, but I've seen tremendous amount of of evidence of this. It seems like every day I'm bombarded with with hundreds and hundreds of stories, literally, of people of, of doctors being concerned. Saying a lot of people, their bosses, CMS, CDC, are pushing them to diagnose everything as COVID, and and they do it because that's the rule, and because they want to get money for their hospital. So, very very sick. I no longer trust the government. Not that I trusted the government before, but it's it's disturbing. And so ultimately, I think the, the big thing in the final in the final paragraph we discuss. I, th- I think another part of this, the reason the federal government is doing this, I'm not going to argue about, is it Trump? Is he Trump good, Trump bad? And it's all about the left trying to control Trump. No, I think it's the government in general. Trump's probably in on this to an extent. A lot of them are probably in on this to an extent. Now, And here's what I think is going on. The federal government, everyone in it, they're all guilty, is doing something of a test run. No crazy conspiracies, but they naturally, like everyone always does, they want to push the limit and see how far they can go. When I lift weights, I see how far I can go. When I jump rope, I see how long I can go for, and so on. They want to see how far can they go in, you know, controlling people and pushing laws. How high can they go? How much can they restrict liberty before people have had enough? Now, some people are getting upset. There are reopen movements. There are counter movements that are labeled as conspiracy theorists because they, they're virus deniers, um, people who just want to get back to work and they believe in economic freedom. But... They're pushing it and seeing how much people will take, and it turns out sheep will take a lot of uh, restrictions of their freedom. So they're they're pushing it. If you if you thought you know the uh, lockdowns and quarantines were bad, and you thought the social distancing and the new normal was bad, just wait for contact tracing because it's coming. I, I wrote a whole article about about microchips and, and 
made the case for microchips being inevitable in five, ten years. I do think we're all going to have a microchip planted inside of us. It's, you know, only the size of a grain of rice. It'll make it convenient. It'll be great. You know, I promise you, you'll love it. That's what they're going to tell us. They'll even give it tax, tax credits to us if we get it, or they'll give it to us for free, or they'll give us other incentives. They have a lot of, I wrote around 50 different ways they can get the microchip into us, but that's in another article linked here. But this might be the end game, but they don't even need a microchip. They can just track us with GPS, which is already on our phone. And I think Apple and Samsung phones have already updated to have the new contact tracing GPS program where it, it traces you and whether you've been in contact with someone who's positive. I don't know, but in a few years, it's all coming. It'll be mandatory within a few years, probably. There's nothing we can do to fight it. So I'm not saying go out there and fight it. It's over. We're, we're around 50 years too late. 50 years ago, we could have dissolved the federal government and then this wouldn't really be an issue. But now we're too late. It's over. We're going to have the full Chinese-style Sesame Credit system where they track everyone 100% and they give you a score on how obedient of a sheep you are. And we're going to have that in 5, 10 years. And again, it's inevitable. Short of a miracle dissolving the federal government or secession, there is no escape from this. We're all going to have microchips. You can't fight it. Um, I think I think that's the future. So, yeah. And then we, we end the article with the, the famous quote the that uh, Rahm Emanuel immortalized when he said a few years ago, never let a crisis go to waste. And the federal government and our enemies of the people in the media and state governments and local governments are sure as hell not letting this crisis go to a waste. As always, check out libertyblock.com and check out the podcast on your favorite podcast app. It's The Liberty Block. Check out our new show, the EJS podcast, EJS. You'll find that on The Liberty Block. And check us out on Facebook, facebook.com slash The Liberty Block. Let us know what you think. I look forward to your comments. Tell you the next one saying goodnight. Thank you very much.